0: Welcome to our second service. We're glad to have you here today. You know, uh, for if some of you, it's your first time here, you're going to look around, you're going to see people trying to stay awake, you're going to see people tired. This has been the week of the county fair, and our church is highly involved in a booth there called the Frito Bandito booth. It's where the youth raise about, you know, the biggest portion of their youth uh, funds in the entire year. And uh, let's give all those that worked in that a big hand today. <clears throat> At this time, they feel like they, they've, they've had a really good year, and when they get everything done, there's a few of the products they've got in the back back there that that's, they had left over. They'll give you a real good deal on it, and it'll help them out, and it'll help you out too. So if you will, let's finish up buying up those products they got left over and, and help them. We've been going through the parables, and... Uh, I always think about in light of the parables, what I'm going through in the parables of what others, these other speakers have been just amazing. Uh, The last couple of weeks, uh, Teresa and and Sam, and and the parables, I've never thought about doing the parables in uh, chronological order. What was Jesus trying to say? What was he building up to? What was the overall message? And, you know, uh, we're going to get into that today. Last Sunday, my wife... Uh, came to church, and we went home, and she got sicker and sicker as the day. She started hurting on the right side of her face, just excruciating pain. And about 8 o'clock, we went to bed. She took some medicine. We got up about 10 or 11, went to the emergency room, was there at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. There's some weird people down there. at this emergency room in the middle. And uh, they said, after 3 or 4 hours, they said, your head's hurting, and we knew that. We went home. We got up the next morning. We did have a, a ER doctor that told us if, if it was him, he would go. And uh, he kind of advised us that the way to get in uh, is to go to UT emergency room and try to see a uro- uh, neurologist that it's probably something to do with nerves uh, in, her, in her face. And so anyway, the next morning we went to UT hospital, went to the emergency room she literally sat in a receiving room there in a little bed-looking chair thing from about 8 o'clock uh, Monday morning to 8 o'clock that night before they got her in a room, yeah. sitting there all day long, not knowing. Finally, they got us in a room, run a bunch of tests Tuesday uh, and, uh, and uh, early that morning, and the MRI came back okay. The, the big stuff they were looking for, tumors, cancer, something in the side, a lot of that came back, and they said they just, with insurance nowadays, they can't merit keeping you, and they told her, referred her to a neurologist uh, for uh, September the 11th. So needless to say, it's been a, kind of a stressful week. She was here in the first service. I looked, and I, I asked prayer for her, and I looked, and there was about two or 300 people praying, For her this week and uh, she is doing some better uh, but we still got to find out what's going on and that'll be September the 11th so we continue to appreciate your prayers we thank you for your prayers it's it's been a rough week and yet the fair was going on and uh, uh, Sherry and Teresa's brother and Joanne's son Joel uh, had heart uh, they had to do a heart procedure on him Friday and he's doing good now You know, in a given week, there's so much happened in our congregation, and over being here as pastor a long time, over a long period of time, I know some of the struggles that you go through, and sometimes I just hurt for you, and and it kind of brings it down to the the sermon we're going to talk about today, and I I say sometimes, I feel like sometimes you have to live the sermons, Uh, but the sermon today is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I want to get right into the scripture reading because I don't want to hold you over. I just want to keep you awake. <laughs> uh, as you know, the last time I preached and uh, done the cowboy routine about the Good Samaritan, the, the, the expert in the law, this guy that's supposed to be an expert, he come to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he didn't get it because he's asking the wrong question. It was not the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, if 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 someone they asked this little kid, they said, well, what do you got to do to go to heaven? They said, well, you got to be good. Some said yes. Some say you got to keep the Ten Commandments. They said yes, and they kept. And they thought they answered all the questions they asked this little boy. They said, well, you know, what do you, is that? What you got to do to go to heaven? And the little boy raised his hand and said, no, none of those things are right. He said, well, what do you what do you Got to do to go to heaven? He said, "You got to die. <laughs> you got to die. You're not going to heaven unless you die." And so uh, he's kind of right. Eternal life is not something we do; it's something we graciously inherit. We receive. You've seen the movies where someone dies and they gather in a room and they go, uh, "Your long-lost relative that maybe you didn't even know. Maybe you didn't even know him really that much. Maybe you heard of him." He dies and he's left you this or he's left you that. It's inherited because someone died and willed it to you. The New Testament is the will that's been left to us by someone who died. The New Testament is God's new will and testament of what he's leaving to you because Jesus died. Everything that you receive as a Christian is willed to you by the goodness of God, the graciousness of God. We need to never forget that. And so we're going to get into the, the reading here, but here's the thing about, is it worth it? We have to get rid of this life only thinking. Sometimes we get in we get thinking about this life only. We don't think about the life to come. We just think about this life today. This week, what I'm dealing with, it's all about me. It's what I'm going through. As I sat in two different emergency rooms this week, I realized there's a lot of people worse than I am. We saw people, the guy was hand was all smashed up, and he was in severe pain. And he must have sat there for an hour and a half, two hours himself. And we're thinking, man, he is in really bad pain. Somebody come in that was shot, and he was sitting out there. Somebody that come in and had a jail outfit on with handcuffs and ankle, and he was sitting out there. And you start even confine yourself being grateful in an emergency room. I had a good friend of mine I went to school with in college, and I've kept up with him on Facebook primarily. He's a great football player, and he moved to Arkansas, and he's got a cowboy church. And uh, I saw one night, he said a few days ago, he said, oh my God. He said, God, give me grace. God, give me grace. Give our family grace, God. That's all he said. Then I found out that his grandson, 19 years old, got killed. And it was his daughter's only son. And I'm thinking, man, man, that's tough. That's tough stuff there. So when we ask ourselves, is it worth it? To what extent you understand God's rewards is to what extent you realize our loss is nothing compared to our gain. See, one of the things that we're constantly doing in our society today, we're doing cost analysis. The disciples in Luke 14, 25 to 35, I'm going to read this passage and get into the heart of the message. You know, Jesus' problem was not a small crowd. His problem was a large crowd. They were large crowds. See, everybody was seeking him as a rabbi. They had heard that he feeds you, and he gives you stuff, and people get healed, and people's kids get raised from the dead, and, and all kind of good stuff. And so everybody was coming to Jesus. Everybody wanted to follow Jesus. He was the new kid in town. Jesus was having crowds he couldn't contain. There's times that they about pushed him in the, in the sea, and he told them, he said, Bar of that boat, and he stood where they, they kept crowding in. And so he, he was taught from a boat. He was popular. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus, yet there's people wanting to kill him. So it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, And brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And you know, Jesus' message has always been a message of love. What is he saying now? What does he mean? And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Nobody wants to start something and not be able to finish it. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him that has 20,000 If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever have ears to hear, let him hear. I don't know how I get all the manure messages. (laughs) I don't know. But they used salt in that day to sprinkle over the manure to keep it from stinking. It had an absorption ability; it would absorb and lessen the blow of the stink. It would preserve meat. You could take stinky meat and you you take and put that salt over it, and it would draw. The moisture out in such a way that, that it would cause it to uh, preserve salt as a preserving agent. I wonder today if the world's starting to stink to us because the church has lost its saltiness. Our marriages, our jobs, our careers is starting to stink because we've lost our saltiness, our preserving. Just asking a question. In short, what they're getting to, is the Christian life worth it? We all do cost analysis every day. You go to the store and you're fixing to buy something and you look at it and you're trying to figure out if it's worth what you're going to pay for it. And so you're like, I'm going to get it, I'm not going to get it, and you put it back in the shelf or you put it in your buggy. We do cost analysis on the on the run you go and you're thinking about buying a car and you'll either talk yourself into it or out of it. Cost analysis. You buy a house, you're using a cost analysis. Is it worth it? When you're going to get married, you're, you're trying, you know, is, is, it, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth it? Going to school. Some of you younger folks are thinking about going to college or maybe in college, and you're asking yourself, is it worth it to go to college? Uh, my wife has got, I think, three masters and two doctorates and EDS, and we're still paying for her school bills to this day. Is it worth it? To us, it has been, even though it's cost a lot of money. It's uh, She's got to work in some different fields. Uh, anybody that's in, in uh Education. I bet already this year you don't think it's worth it. <laughs> For you that think that uh, being in education means you start in you know August and get out in May, and you start at eight in the morning, get off at two thirty or three o'clock, and you got the rest of your life, you got the whole summer off. You have no idea what education is all about. You don't see them sitting till ten o'clock at night grading papers filling out reports, you see it in the nurses filling, anymore. the nurses don't have time to take care of their patients, because they've got hours of paperwork, it's almost that like in any field, in any field you're in, you have to weigh the cost, is it worth it, some people have started businesses, and now they're saying, is it worth it to be in business anymore, The insurance and the wear and tear on trucks and vehicles and this and that. Is it worth it? We ask that question constantly. But you know the holy grail of not to ask that question. Is it worth it to be a Christian? Is it worth it to be a pastor? Is it worth it to serve in the church? Is it worth it to even go to church? Is it worth it? Anybody served in the military before, it's according to where you served at. But a lot of military people look back now, and they see the disregard and the unappreciation for America. And they're wondering, was it worth it for me to go serve in the military? Was it worth it? Was Vietnam worth it? Was Korean War worth it? Was World War I, World War II, was it worth it? We ask that question often. And, and Jesus doesn't want people to be disappointed and to be disappointed, especially in the gospel, the good news. And he was trying to get them to understand, you want me to be your rabbi. You want me to be your teacher. You think it's, you're, you're envisioning this. You're envisioning me taking over and setting up my kingdom. That's what you're seeing. That's what you're believing. That's what your concept is. But that's not where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm, I'm getting you ready to tell you that I'm fixing to die and as jesus began to get his disciples together and he began to let them know the real story of what's going to happen jesus was seeing that their expectation was not right and and jesus began to say the first thing you got to see is that it's jesus jesus's expectation that he will call anyone who follows him to make sacrifices i want you to write this down if you're writing it down today Jesus' call Jesus' call on your life Jesus' call requires all those words Jesus' call requires all what does Jesus want of you? He wants all of you no half-hearted commitments love the Lord with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul with all your strength love your neighbor as yourself He wants all what's it going to cost you to follow Jesus? all all of you and so he gives them this verse to everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake. He was answering this question for them in Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting net into the lake for they were fishermen. He said, come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Did they follow? Yes. Yes. Did he make them? Yes. Somebody talked about the unqualifying power of the word of the gospel, the word of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, not even hell can overpower my church. If you want an institution that's never, ever, ever going down, get in God's church. It's never going down. It's never went down through any generation. It's not going down. The church will survive when every institution on the face of the earth crumbles and falls. The church will still stand. Jesus has given us his word on that. When Jesus has call, calls you to follow him and he tells you he'll make you, he will make you. You can count on it. You can bet on it. And that's what he's saying here. And he said, I will make you. Come and follow me. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Once they left their nets, they followed him. And Jesus commanded these disciples. He commanded these disciples that left their livelihoods. They left their homes. They left their families to follow him. They left everything to follow Jesus. Paul is another one. Paul thought he was this great religious leader. He was taught under Gamaliel. He was in religion, but he was not a called of God. He he was messed up. His thinking was wrong. He was into religion. He wasn't into righteousness. He wasn't in the relationship with God. And and so he struck down off of his high horse, and he's brought to his knees. And this man, this man is. He, he tells Ananias, he said, I want, I'm going I'm to send you to this guy named Saul. You're talking about the same Saul that's persecuting and killing people in the church. Yeah, you're going to go to him. I don't want to go to him. He's a bad guy. Ananias, I want you to go to him. I've chosen him. God, don't ask us if we want to be chosen. He said, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and before their kings. And before the people of Israel. And I will show you him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You ever thought about your calling as a calling to suffer? It, it, this, this message don't fit in with the prosperity message. It don't, it don't fit in that if you, if, you, you know, if you follow Christ, you're going to get a chariot with these fancy wheels. That you're gonna have everything, you're gonna be rich, you're gonna have diamonds and gold and silver, you're gonna have big stuff if you follow him. It, he's, Jesus is not laying out a prosperity message to them. He's telling me, if you follow me, you're gonna suffer. If you follow me, it's gonna require something on your part. You're gonna suffer a lot for my namesake, Saul. Your name's going to be changed to Paul. Christ Paul was to give up his status among the Jews. He was to give up his security of his life to suffer for Christ. We shouldn't see this promise of suffering to Paul as some kind of punishment that God is going to put him through because of what he'd done to the church. This calling was not a punishment from God. It was not a vendetta. It was not a revenge, it was not vindictiveness, rather this is a normal, normal call to follow Jesus and follow him willingly Paul's life was a sacrifice when did his life start as a sacrifice? Immediately, after many days had gone by Jesus conspired, the Jews conspired to kill him and Paul had to flee into the dead of night, Paul now is on the run now he's serving Jesus Christ, He's on the run for his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he's comparing himself to false apostles. You know, those false apostles, they're living big, they're having this, and they're having that. He said, "I want to give you a comparison." He said, "I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequent. Been flogged more severely." And been exposed to death again and again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 slashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? I, I do not inwardly burn. It's all very well for Peter and Paul. You know, they're apostles. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying this is the normal life of the Christian and discipleship. Matthew 16, Jesus gives us the call of our lives when he says, If anyone, not just apostles and prophets and preachers, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Sacrifice and self-denial are the normal pattern of the Christian life. Not some kind of exception to the rule. Matthew 19, Jesus picks up on this theme. He speaks to everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters, fathers or mothers or children in fields for my name's sake. Did you know in northern India right now, people that give their heart to Jesus Christ as Hindu, their families totally disown them. Throw them out. Did you know in the Islamic world today, if one of them names the name of Jesus Christ, they may be beheaded, put to death, or at the least disowned by their family in our lifetime. Even the Jewish people back then, if, if a Jew went to follow Jesus Christ, this new guy, this way, this uh, you know Jesus, if they, they would disown him, that was the, the, the environment that Jesus was then in. He's saying, "You don't even know what you're asking to follow me." Woman, woman said, "Well, you let my son sit on your right hand and on your left hand." Jesus said, "You're, you're mad, lady. You don't understand what's good. you know what they're going to face if they follow me. You know what's going to be required of them if they follow me. How's that for building your church, building a following? He was thinning out the herd." One time he had a big crowd and he said, if you're not willing to drink my blood and eat my flesh, you'll never be part of me. And they went away sorrowful and he looked at his handful of disciples. He said, you're going to leave too? But they had got a glimpse. They were not looking at now, just now thinking, now kingdom. They were thinking, they were seeing the bigger picture and they go, where can we go? You're the only one that holds the key to eternal life. You're the only one that holds the life. If we don't have you, we have nothing. Other people think that they have Jesus, they've lost everything. No wonder Peter is asking. See, now Peter... Peter, he was in that in between time there, and Peter asked Jesus, "Goes, I, I've left everything for you. I, I've, left, I've left, my fishing business. I've left my job. I've left my family. I've left everything for you, Jesus. Now, now, you know, when he started finding out Jesus is not going to set up his kingdom? Jesus is telling him now he's going to die." Now they're going, we've wasted all of our time. We've wasted our business model here in our town. We've, we've lost everything. We've, you, you messed us up. That's what was going on here. Life now. Peter was trying to get that question answered. Is it really worth it? Life of sacrifice for the sake of Christ, is it worth it? Both now and is it worth it later on? Jesus has responded about life now, life now, life now in this age, in this time, in this period. Is it worth being a Christian today? Is it worth going to church? Is it worth getting up on Sunday morning? Is it worth naming the name of Jesus? Jesus' response is to give things up for Jesus. If you give up things for Jesus' sake, it's not lost, but it's invested. See, you have to make these uh, these cost analysis all the time. I just spent a bunch of money on my house, uh, having remodeled built on. Is it worth it i don 't know yet. It could be i 'm hoping i 'm praying it 's going to be worth it that at one day when I sell it i 'll get back the investment and you know if I spent if I spent fifty thousand on it and I got back ten times more than I put in it, would that be worth it? I I think so. It'd be worth it, right? What about 10 times more than, uh, you know, 5 times, 10 times, 20 times more than I invested? It'd be worth it. That's what we do about everything. Yeah, it costs something now, but we're looking, if we're looking right, we're looking to the investment, the investment that later on is going to be worth it. Yeah, it's work now, and it's money now, and it's cost now, and it's aggravating now, but will it be worth it? You ask that about every area of your life. You ask it about your marriage. You ask it about your education. You ask it about every purchase you make. That's something we constantly do. Is it worth it? Jesus says, everyone who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much. If you knew, and it happens every day where people get people in scams, if they tell you, you give me $10,000 and I'll I'll, I'll promise you this thing is going to work, you're going to get a hundred times back. How many would be willing to take that up if you knew it was true? Is there anybody? It's not a scam. If somebody says, you give me $10,000, I'm going to promise you a hundred times that. How many would be willing to do that? You'd be crazy not to. Be crazy not to. And Jesus tells them, nobody. And so is there a cause? Yes. But is the cause in light of the reward? The reward is so much higher so much greater than the cost. The cost is—it's inconsequential. It's, it doesn't matter. It's like the guy's in the field and he's. He's, he's taking, plowing in the field and he comes across a box and he realizes that these field people have come and go through the generations. A lot of times people, well, some, an invading army would come in and, and they would hide stuff in a field, in a box or in a cave up on the hill. And so these, these enemies would come in and you would hide it until a certain time. And you, this guy, you know, maybe they got killed off. So this treasure has been in this field a long time. And so he's there hoeing in this field and he comes across something and it's a treasure. Well, the Jewish law was, if you own the land and you find a treasure on your land, then it's your treasure. If you don't own the land, it's not your treasure. And so he covers it up, and he goes and he finds everything he's got that he can sell. He sells everything he's got to buy the field for the treasure. Well, we found, he tells about a pearl, because the the, the Jewish people are not into pearls and crustaceans. So he tells if you had a pearl of a great price, wouldn't you go sell everything that you had to buy that pearl? And then you could resell it, it's just an investment. No matter what you had to give up, it was worth it, because you see the end run. You see what it's going to be like in the end. The end. You see what it's going to be like eventually. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. We play those games all the time. We do those cost analysis all the time. No different in this. Jesus said, I'll give you 100 100 times what you've ever invested. 100 times. And so in light... And so we find in these parables, I believe these parables are all talking about God. The prodigal son's father was God. I believe that Jesus was willing to leave heaven. He was willing to leave sitting at the right hand of the Father. He was willing to leave all that, come to earth, suffer, die, be beaten, be brutally. He was willing to do it because in this field called the earth there was a treasure. And that treasure is me and you. He would die for me and you. For the treasure of harvesting, reaping us, that he might have us. But in like, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to see the same picture. What would we give up to save a soul? Talking about the banquet thing that, that, that Sam was talking about. You know, if you knew that every Sunday after church, if you invited somebody out to eat, and you could talk to them about Jesus, if you had to pay for the meal every Sunday, but you led somebody to Christ, would it be worth it? Absolutely. Why would it be worth it? You have to think the long game. You got to think in terms, is it worth it? I tell you the truth, no one in Mark 10, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother, father, or children feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age little girls, her dad was gonna go preach, and her dad said, Told her dad, said, Dad, I want you to tell the bird story. People love the bird story. I love the bird story. Please tell the bird story. So the dad said, Well, I'll add it to the sermon. And so he got there and he said, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable? than they. Is God not telling us something? Is God not telling us that this world, this world, if you had to give up everything in this world for Jesus, it'd be worth it a hundred times more, a thousand times, a million times more. Would any of you not give up your physical life if it meant you had, you got eternal life? We wouldn't want to, but it'd be worth it, right? It'd be worth it. Fixing to stone you, but you're going to have eternal life after it's over with. It's going to be worth it. In light of the reward, the, the consequence, the cost is not even, even imaginable. We're, we're of the opinion a lot of in our society today, we don't need to go through anything unpleasant. It would be very bad for us to go through it. But what's the consequences for the, the next generation? What's the consequences You know, what's the cost, And we need to bear the cost. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary of the 19th century, missionary to China. Look at China. It's having one of the greatest revivals ever of all time right now. But they asked him one time about his great sacrifice of going and working in China. Here was his remark. He said, I've never made a sacrifice, ever. He never made a sacrifice, but if you read about him... He was a doctor making good money and he gave up his career as a doctor to go on the mission field. He gave up his title, his status, his job, his career. He spent every every penny he ever had on reaching the lost. Every dime he ever got he put it right back in the in the mission field. He saw his daughter die in China. His daughter died there in China. His wife died there in China. His wife died in China there. So he's got his daughter's grave and he's got his wife's grave. Heard about a pastor and there was this rough, rough neighborhood in California and every pastor had went there and, and, and left after just a short period of time. He couldn't take it. And they told him, they said, you don't want to go there. And he went to this town he felt like God called him to that town and he went and the first thing he did, he went and he bought him a cemetery plot and put it up there and that would be where he would die. He was making a commitment to that town that he'd come to that town, he would die in that town, but he was going to reach that town. He built a big great church there. What could we build if we shut all the other options out? It's always easy to flee. It's always easy to run. It's always easy easy to give up. It's always easy to turn around. I heard about one great uh, explorer. Uh, He come upon this coast, and it was his job. They were going to go and take this island. And so he got there, and the boat came up on the edge of the shore there. And he told him, he said, Get your stuff off the boat. We're fixing to go and take this island. Two story. Then he told him, He said, Set the boat on fire. We go home in their boats or we don't go home. Guess who won? When you make no way of escape. It's like when a plane is taken off, there's a point in time they get up to a certain speed and there's a radio back to the tower, I'm committed. It means at this point, there's no way of not taking off. I've already had a speed and philosophy that I have to stay airborne or crash. You know what we're needing this generation? We're needing people that will get committed to God, get committed to the church, get committed to marriage, get committed to servanthood, get committed and say, there's no cost too great. We've got a fractured, messed up world because of a lack of commitment. Hudson Taylor, his son said, Here's what his dad said, I've never made a sacrifice. For as his son put it, the compensation were so real and lasting that he came to see that giving up is inevitably receiving. When one is dealing heart to heart with God, the sacrifice was great, but the reward was far greater. Is the Christian life worth it? Yes. Even for the joy of living, it is in the present age. And this less, we, the less we cling to this world, the greater our joy will be in life to come. You know one thing that some people despise in Christianity? That the church would have the audacity to ask people to give 10% of their their income. Where does the church get off wanting 10% of my money? I think it's a very gracious thing that God does because he don't want any possession. He don't want to get anything you can't serve God and man, but he don't want anything to come between you and God. Is there anything today that you would not go to heaven for? you got to think of it that way. Is there anything that's bigger to me? Is there anything greater to me than my eternal experience with God? Is there, anything, is there, anything that I, I, is there any hardship I would go through to keep that commitment to God? Is there any, anything that I would do? I'll be like, I, I'm not going to do that. And yet, they're the very people that's holding on to this world with everything they've got. Here's the thing. Jesus said, though, you have never give up anything that I haven't restored to you a hundredfold. A hundredfold in this... He said, in this earth. I was telling him in the first service, and I, I kind of hate to tell this sometimes, <clears throat> and I ever so often, years, I'll tell it. But, uh, you know... Paul told about what he went through in ministry. My wife was, uh, she was raised as a military brat, that's what they call them. Her dad and her stepdad were both military, retired military. And uh, when we got married at 17 years old, she said all she wanted. She didn't have a lot of expectations. She just wanted a little house with a white picket fence, and she wanted to live happily ever after. Not a lot of other stuff. That wasn't really that important. And sure enough, on PK Avenue in Auburndale, Florida, we rented this little house. It had, did have the picket fence. Nice little house. And you know, we were doing good. She worked for State Farm. I worked in construction. At that time, we were making really good money for our age. We had a brand-new car. We were the only people in our church had a microwave and they're saying you're going to die from that microwave because you get some kind of kill you and all we were thinking is that you could pop popcorn in one minute (laughs) but we had a microwave and we had 10 speed bicycles that we could ride down and ride around the lake we were doing pretty good and then guess what god come along and had to mess it up god come along and asked us to go in the ministry and so I told my wife, I said, you know, I feel that God's calling me in the ministry. And she knew what that meant. That meant moving to these little houses that churches would sometimes have to do and you'd have to live in them. It meant moving from, the average pastor stays in a town about two or three years. If they've got a little board that's running the church. You know, it's about two years. I can't tell you how many pastors have come and gone since I've been here in this, in this community. But it's normal for a pastor. You know, one of the, my, my wife's hardest thing in the school system is nobody really wanted to hire her because they're like, yeah, you're a pastor's wife. No matter what job we're going to put you in, you'll be gone in three or four years. So we don't want to invest the time on you. It took her a long time to convince the people we're here until we die or close to it. And so we decided to go in the ministry and we sold what we had. We'd we'd moved down to Fort Myers is where we went first to pastor a church. It was such a bad neighborhood that somebody shot a bullet through the front door of the church and it lodged in the back. There was people on the right side of us was broken into. The people on the left side, my very first night in that town, somebody tried to steal all four tires. They took all the bolts off. They couldn't get it shuffled right to to get them to come out because the mupper had to have a special jack to get it out. But somebody tried to steal all four tires, wheels, and everything my first night in that town. I literally was so afraid living there. It was such a bad neighborhood. I slept with a gun under my pillow, and I still had somebody try to break into my house. I bought a dog, and somebody tried to steal the dog. It was a bad, bad neighborhood. I got where I'd stay up all night, pretty much laying on the couch or laying in the bedroom with my gun. like. They were notorious for shackling the window and letting a kid in. The kid would go open the front door and let some other guys in. If you woke up in the middle of the night, they were standing there with a bat, and they would hit you over the head or kill you. That was the, because somebody that was broke into could see it out of the corner of the aisle. They were waiting there at the head of their bed with a bat standing there at their room. And so they didn't stir. They could hear them when they left. That was my first church. That was my first one there. Well, actually, before that, I went to check on a mission in northern Florida. They wanted me to come be their pastor. And it was 80% black community. And the, this lodge that we were going to use for a church that these people had been having church in, they wanted me as a pastor really bad, but they had one exception. No black people were allowed at their church. I went back and told them. I said, I'm not being in it. And they said, no, you don't need to be there. And I left. That other church I'm telling you about was in bad neighborhood. It was my second church. <laughs> Finally, we decided a guy in that, we're in that bad neighborhood, this guy goes, what are you doing down here? He, he helped us fill out paperwork, and we filled out a bunch of grant stuff, and we got a grant to go to college. But literally on a Christmas day, we loaded everything we had in a 5 by 7 trailer. After having a house full of furniture, we sold it all, got rid of it, put it in a little trailer, 5 by 7 trailer, and we headed off to college. And we cried all the way. We actually had a flat tire before we left that town. And I wouldn't even call in my family because I didn't want to tell them bye again. And so we experienced leaving father and mother and brother and sister and going out knowing really nobody. We experienced knowing that we may never come back. We, didn't, we never went back to live in Florida. We experienced being moved from church to church, town to town. I have been accused of a sexual affair Because somebody was jealous of me on the ministry. It was absolutely a lie. Being accused by a false brother. I was called to go and travel in this ministry. And the word that God had called me to share was kind of a hard word. But God blessed. I'm telling you, God blessed amazingly. But one of the words that was given, that they would come an end. After five years in that traveling ministry, it came to an end. I was sent to a church here in in, uh, Knoxville, in Crossville. And it had three pastors in three years. It was a church coming apart at the seams. I was there. Started in August on tax, the week of tax, April fifteenth. I got all my stuff and I left that the place. There was just a very, very bad situation going on, and I resigned from that church. Took my kids to school, and that day I picked them up, and they said, "Dad, where are we going?" I said, "We don't live there no more. We moved." I said I said it wrong in the first service. I said I had to borrow money to get into Birchwood Apartments, and that's not true. I didn't really borrow. I didn't have the money. The two members gave me the money to rent Birchwood Apartments. I moved here. I was, I was highly in debt from that ministry thing. I had credit cards. I had a trailer and a truck that I owed money on. Finally, I talked to the credit union. They let me sell the trailer and sell the truck. I still owed like $12,000 unclateraled money to the bank. I had to borrow money to get in there or somebody give me money to get in Birchwood Apartments. That was about 28 years ago. Have I been through some hellish issues? I have. But I can stand here today and tell you it's been worth it. Do you realize what eternal life is like You realize that no matter what happens to you in life, you may be knocked down, but you're not ever knocked out if you believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. You're not starting your eternal life someday. When you accept Jesus Christ, you're starting your eternal life right then. You can stand anything. You can go through anything. You can can power through it because you know it's only going to get better. We need to quit throwing up our hands like the world does. And we need to, we need to fight through some things and say, it, we're not giving up. We're not giving up. We're a child of the living God. God's going to take care of us. And I'm going to tell you, it has not been easy. You know, th- th- there's no place that said if you serve God, you're not going to have health issues. We get, this, we get this thing that somehow or another God owes us something. No, we owe Him everything. If God never heals you ever again, you still owe Him your entire life. If you die tomorrow, you've gained heaven. You know, the Apostle Paul, after all the crap he's went through, he tells you about, he said, for me to die is gain. I'm going to tell you, if it was up to me, I would wish one of these things would take me out. Because going through this laundry list of hell that I've been through is not easy. But I would gladly do it a hundred times for the sake of the cross of Jesus Christ and for His namesake. Why? Because the reward was so much greater than the sacrifice. We're almost unwilling to sacrifice or go through anything anymore. For jobs, for marriages, for school, for anything. It, you sacrifice if you're going to make it in life. It is a sacrifice. But you can't lose. You may be knocked down, but you're knocked out, knocked out because of Jesus. You may be sick, and you may not get healed, and you may die, but you've gained because of Jesus. You're going to spend eternity with Him. You may be put down, you may be uh, martyred, but you've gained because of Jesus. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus. Like some guy's got this bag, he's going into heaven, comes up to St. Peter, and they go, what's that bag? He goes, I just brought this with me, I asked to be buried with it. And and they said, what is it? And they said, he opened it, and it was a bag of chunks of gold. And he said, what do we want that asphalt up here for? Now see, in heaven, in heaven, that's just what they paved the streets with. What, Jesus said, What would you give in account for your soul? If you could gain the entire world, if you own every piece, it's like you're the master of monopoly. You owned every piece of property in the world, you owned everything in the world, you possessed everything in the world, and you lost your soul. You're a loser. You're a loser. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, you've lost. There is not anything in this world that you could trade for Jesus. There's nothing worth losing Jesus over. The security of knowing. How many are saved today? Just lift your hand up. You're saved. Do you know what that means? That means you can't lose. No matter what kind of hell... I, normally, I've got a rope back there. and I'm not going to take the time to do the illustration, but I hold this rope out. And I said, if that rope was continued of your life, and that was the beginning of time, and the other end of the rope was the end of time, and in the middle, there's about a foot wide, and the rope is black. And I said, if, if that's your life, if, if your 70, 80, 90, 100 years in this life was totally hell... You were abused as a child. You were hated by your parents. You went through everything. You were sick. You went through every problem. You went through divorce. You went through everything you can imagine. You were sick. You lost jobs. You never had one good day in your life if every day of your entire existence was horrible, was hell. But you received Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. It's been worth coming into this world. You've gained everything. One missionary said, you know, about, you know, he possibly could lose his life for Jesus on the mission field. And he goes, ain't no big thing to me. He said, for, the, for me to lose what I can't hold on to anyway, to gain what I cannot lose ever, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. To give your life to Jesus, to have eternal life... Everything else there is minor. Uh, One guy used to tell me here, he said, don't sweat the small stuff. And then he said, hey, Dennis, it's all small stuff. It's all small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. I tell you what, me and Sharon, we've been through marital problems. We were told by a doctor that she'd never be having kid's. We got off to college after that horrible experience at church. We went to college, and we left everything to go off to college, and it was at a bad time, and we were trying to get ahead, and the very first season of college, they had a spiritual emphasis week, and Dr. Roy Cantrell, he was there, and he came up, and he was praying about that this, this faith is your title D dance for prayer, and, and, and we come up, and he said, what do you like for me to pray about? And I said, well, we just got here to college, and we were having some financial issues, and you know, I told him a bunch of stuff, but I mean, we were we were we were eating potatoes every single day. We had no food, and we went by and I, kind of stealing in a way, but we went by and got ketchup from uh, like Wendy's and uh, stores and just put it on our potatoes. But anyway, it was hard, and he prayed for us. And my wife, she was working, we was working, going to school, and she goes to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, "You're not sick. You're pregnant." And she said, no, I, I'm not pregnant. I can't get pregnant. Well, he said, well, honey, I've got news for you. You're pregnant. And so we had a son, and we called his name Matthew. means gift from God. We obeyed God, and somehow or another, he didn't have to, but he gave us a son called Matthew. And then later, we had a son named Michael, and we treasured them with all our heart. But what what is your soul worth today? What what? Thing, what thing in this world is worth your soul? You know, you think about the love you have, what, what would you do for your child? I've heard a lot of people said, not a lot of things I would die for, but I'd die with, I would die for my child. You've heard of people going into burning buildings and going through the fire to save their family. Jesus went through hell for us because he treasures us. And he wants us to understand and be grateful. Every single morning you wake up, you've got something to be grateful for. You've got it made. It don't matter at the end of the day. If everybody in your family is gone, you've got it made because you're going to spend eternity with God. They may have got there before you. You could be given the worst health news ever tomorrow. As a Christian, it's okay. Because in heaven, there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more sickness. There's no more dying. Some of you young ones may not have anybody that's went, but some of you are sitting here today, and you've, you don't have your mom, and you don't have your dad. And you've lost children. And you've lost brothers, and you've lost sisters. And heaven's getting sweeter every day. One day, one day, you're going to be with them again for eternity. Is anything worth, is anything worth that? Yes, Christianity, there is something. There's something we need to take account of. We need to do a cost analysis, but I think if you'll do it rightly, you'll know there's not anything worth your reliance to Jesus Christ. If Jesus ever asks you to lay something down or sacrifice something or give something, he's only doing it because he sees your attachment for that is getting to be more than your attachment for heaven, your attachment for eternal life. You're you're being attached to something that's worthless. Do you realize this entire world one day is going to burn up? I don't know if it's going to be global warming or it's going to be judgment or what, but one day this whole world is going to burn up. The most important thing in this world is to get people to know Jesus Christ. There's nothing, period, any more important than that. If if you've got a child that's saved, that's the most important thing. You can go and you can rest a little easier if you know they're saved. You know they have eternal life. Yes, there's a cost. I won't lie to you. There's a cost. But in light of eternity. That cost is nothing. I'm not going to ask the team to come up and sing again. I'm just going to ask you today to do a cost analysis and ask yourself, is there anything worth your soul? Is there anything worth your kid's soul? Is there anything worth that? Is there anything worth that that you would give up your soul for? That you would not know Jesus Christ for? I want to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today, Lord. I I appreciate this congregation, Lord. God, I had hoped to not go long, but Lord, I'm passionate about this, Lord. I pray today, God, that we would not get our priorities out of whack. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. There's not anything in our life that's hopeless as we know Jesus Christ. We're not guaranteed every one of our prayers are going to be answered. But if it's not, you've got a reason. If everything on this life closes up, we still got eternal life. We still got eternal life. God, today, shake us, Lord. Shake us. Wake us up, God, I pray. God, government's not more more important than the gospel. Nothing in this world is more important than this gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray today that someone would accept you as their personal Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.